The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show today is fantastic because it is all about online privacy protection. And let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Our guest is Dovell Bonnet who has been creating security solutions for computer users for over 20 years. In order to provide these solutions to consumers directly and quickly, he founded Access Smart. So every one of his innovations, the end user or the person like you and I sitting in front of the computer is really the number one person in his mind. And the passion, as he puts it, is to empower people to manage digital information in the digital age. And that led him to write the popular online identity theft protection for dummies. So within the pervasive nature of our e-commerce and e-business that we talk about all the time on this show, including things like all the personal information, your credit card numbers, your pet's name, your boyfriend's name, everything is easily accessed. And so that's really what identity thieves really need. So that's become an issue for every one of us. As you know, that's been something that I've been close to for a long, long time. So Devel's solutions reduce security risks for you and I, small businesses, and even large corporations. And his professional experience spans 21 years in engineering, product development, sales, and marketing, with more than 15 years focused specifically on smart card technology systems and applications. You can learn a lot more about him at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. And of course, you might want to take a good look at accessmart.com. That's access, A-C-C-E-S-S, dash smart.com. Dovell, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Molly. It's a pleasure being here. Well, you have been in the security world as a real techie in security for over 20 years and smart cards for 18 years. Now, why don't you explain to my audience what really is a smart card and why are they used in security? Okay. A smart card is a little computer chip embedded in a, a credit card piece of plastic. Um, if you watch some of the popular television shows like NCIS, you'll see that they'll show up a, a badge, uh, like an employee badge or a military badge, and you see that little gold contact on it. That's a smart card, and that is really a, a small computer. And those computer chips had more processing power now than the first IBM PC ever had. Now, what makes smart cards so unique is that 
smart cards, unlike the PC, was designed completely around security, how to go and protect the information that's in the card from other people getting access to that data. And so, therefore, it's typically used as a secure token to authenticate an individual computer server to the data. Mm. So I understand that you started your company, Access Smart, back in 2005. So can you tell me a little bit about what actually you guys do with Access Smart? Yes. Well, with, you know, with over 20 years of computer security experience, I mean, we typically look at security with the antiviruses and the spam blockers and the firewalls. And they're all great. You, you need that level of security in there. But when you think about it, all that's doing is really locking the windows and the back doors. But you're leaving the front door wide open. And that front door being, how do you log into a computer? How do you log into a website? And that's where we use a lot of passwords. Now, passwords are secure, where you'll see people who will say that they're not. No, they're very secure. But what's insecure is how we manage those passwords. So we looked at a technology that incorporated security, that incorporated convenience, and in such a way that a user never had to remember or type a password again. Every site could be unique, and it was just easy. If you can do two mouse clicks, you're in. And you had the portability of going from computer to computer to computer with your passwords and leave nothing behind for anybody to find. Okay, so the only question would be to explain how if that, what happens if that card is lost. Okay, and this is why we use a smart card as opposed to one of these USB stick token type right, things. Right. A smart card requires some authentication to the chip. And so we limit the times of where you, let's say you have to use a PIN or you know, one single password. We limit the times that you could have a false entry. Let's say the person didn't type in the right PIN. After six times, it will lock the card. So that gives you the security knowing that you can't do a brute force attack on it. You can't keep trying and trying and trying like you can do with some of these USB sticks. Plus, we can also incorporate uh, biometrics or use both. So we can go from one up to three factors of authentication to the card. Okay, so so in other words, you can you can use like a fingerprint or something when you're talking about biometrics. So that can be authentication. Do you have to have that on your computer where it can read the um, the biometrics? Is that or do you have a little um, ac- accessibility? You know, some little product that you also have that has that with it? It's really yes to both in that I have laptops here that have built-in fingerprint scanners, and so our software interfaces with those particular scanners, as well as if you don't have a computer, let's say you have a a, a desktop computer that doesn't have a built-in scanner into the keyboard, we have a little device that you can go ahead and plug into a USB port that will read the card as well as read the fingerprint. And uh, we're really reading the uh, template of the fingerprint. We're not reading the, the full fingerprint because you don't want to do that. And um, the, the template's stored on the card. So, again, you're always in possession of all of your vital information. Right. So when we talk about, and I think some of my audience may not really understand what we talk about when we say two-factor or three-factor authentication, it means that just if, if someone just had the password they wouldn't necessarily have to get be able to get in to use the smart card. But if they had the password and um, 
then a piece of your biometric, like the fingerprint or something like that, that would also be a two-factor. And what would be a three-factor if they could answer a question or what? No, um, it's something you have. Oh, so something. Oh. IT people have defined there are three levels to authenticate a person or a device, but let's say for a person. Something you have, something you know, and something you are. I see. So something you have, you have a token of some type. Right. You're the only one that has it. Something you know is a PIN or a password, and something you are is a biometrics. Either, taking either one of the three by itself is referred to as a single factor. Putting any two of the three together is a two-factor, and putting, any, you know, putting all three together is considered three-factor. And with the new government privacy laws that you're very well, uh, well aware of and being compliant, you read through those, most of them do require at least a two-factor authentication. Right, right. Now, so we hear about the, in the news every day, about security breaches, massive security breaches. In fact, if you go to privacyrights.org, you can see the newest chronology of security breaches. And we're talking about, you know, millions and millions and millions. So who is most vulnerable, the individuals or the companies? Both really are very vulnerable here. And um, it's really getting to the point where you've got the human element that you're dealing with, a computer left unsecured, a password on a sticky note, a piece of paper thrown in the trash that has a customer's personal information there, clicking onto an email link, all of those, and that they hit us from all sides. But I'm sure, as you saw in some of the documentation that's been out there, in the last five years, over 500 million Americans have had their identities compromised. Now, what makes that so unique is that uh, the last census report says there are just a little under 312 million Americans. So pretty much everybody can assume now that their information has been compromised, meaning that it has been thrown away inappropriately, it has been exposed some way. doesn't mean that there has been an attack or a threat or someone's using your identity. It's just been mishandled. And we're also finding that on a company side, because that's where all the data is, that's where millions of information is, in 2010 it was like $7.2 million per incident a company had to pay on average, which roughly is about $215 per record. Yeah, now when you're talking about that, they don't pay the the people who've been compromised, but it, it costs them money to notify and to do all those things to rectify the situation. So I just wanted the audience to understand that that the consumers whose information was accessed didn't get paid. <laughs> exactly, and you had the direct and indirect costs right. associated with that, You know, everything from bad press to loss of customers. Right. So... What what are the four points of vulnerabilities for an individual? Okay, well, we, when we look at this, what an individual typically does, I mean, there's the physical point of vulnerability. And these are, where are the thieves, the cyber thieves, the identity thieves all going after? You've got the physical side. And that's where they're going into the mail, they're going into the garbage, things like that. So you have a physical attack, potentially. You have the social engineering type attack where you get somebody calling you up on the phone saying, oh, we're doing such and such a survey. Do you mind if we ask some questions? Um, they ask some personal information. Remember, just because somebody asks the question, you don't have to answer it. Right. Or, or those phishing emails that people get that look really authentic, like they're from a government agency or from somebody in Nigeria who wants to help help you know get money 
from someone else and then they're going to give you a big portion of it. I mean, those are all just fake. <laughs> exactly. And that's where the computer attacks come in with the phishing, the farming, the, right. you know, the spam, the email attachments, the worms, all of that. Yeah. And the latest one that's really been coming up now is the social media. Yes. And oh. that's where people, for whatever reason, are putting so much personal information that they normally wouldn't want to tell anybody out for the whole universe or world to be able to see. Yes. Or your family members are, where some uh, one of your children could be simply saying, oh, we're going on vacation on such and such a day. It's here right. to here. Well, these are monitoring all this. And they oh, well, guess what? Nobody's going to be at the house at that time. Yes. Horrible. So that's 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 a that's stuff that we personally are in charge of that we can deal with is right. is not allow ourselves to get sucked into responding to those phishing emails and we can just not respond like you said just just you don't have to talk to somebody on the phone and give information. I remember one time I got a call from the IRS and they started to ask me information and I really didn't believe it was them and I said you know what, I don't, I don't know who you are, but I never give information to anyone who I don't personally call if I don't know them personally. And so I said, um, I am going to call the number that I know and give me your, your IRS number and give me your name and I will call and see if you really are that person. And, and it really was. I had put a, one number wrong in my social security number and they were calling to verify. But, but you know what? I just didn't believe it. So that's another thing. We just don't want to trust these things that, we, you know, it's just not a, it's good to have a little bit of healthy um, paranoia, so to speak. Exactly. Trust, but verify. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Um, so you like to differentiate between, well, you talked about this a little bit about the difference between identity compromise, identity theft, and identity fraud. So you already talked about identity compromise is when your information was acquired by a third party or it was lost or somehow it was not kept safely and securely. Correct, right? but okay. not, not necessarily anything has happened. And when you look Yet. at some of the stats, yeah. they all talk about they say identity theft, but it's really compromise that has occurred. And it could turn into identity it theft. It very much could, and that's where it gets escalated. And so to me, identity theft is just when an individual uh, takes that personal information and tries to commit a breach and tries to use that information to pretend to be somebody else. And then once they have done that, then you get into this whole argument of identity fraud and how that person has actually used that information. So a thief can have identity theft by using your information or having possession of your information. But when they go in and they get arrested and they give out your information and your Social Security information, then they're actually committing identity fraud. Right. And and we've talked about that on this show, and there's many types of identity fraud, whether it's medical identity theft and medical fraud or whether it's criminal identity theft and then you experience fraud in the criminal arena it's uh or online online fraud uh, there's so many different ways so how about the companies what are some of the ways that companies are really attacked as opposed to individuals because we know the many ways that individuals can get attacked but but the reality is is m from what I have learned from all the victims that I've dealt with in the last 15 years is that most of the time, I would say 98% of the time, if you would ask me a percentage, it it is beyond the control of the victim 
And many, many, many times it's really the identity theft occurs within companies. Mm-hmm. So, so what, what are some of the ways that um, companies are attacked? Well, in, in the similar where we've got the four points of vulnerabilities, we looked at them differently from a company. You've got the building, which is the physical access, and just the fax machines and leaving things out on copiers where visitors can grab stuff. Um, the employees. One of the big things that really needs to occur with employees is training. How do they manage their security? And what are some of the trips to look for? I mean, they're not trained on security and just what to be aware of. You know, spear phishing, all of those types of things. Um, the computers, the lost and stolen computers, the viruses, you know, what not to click on a computer, you know, how not to lose your computer, things like that, as well as the network with the hackers and all. And if you look at some of the financial reports that you now see, especially with the M&A going on, um, data has now become almost the new currency of the business age now, especially yes. with the Internet. Yeah. And it's how many customers you have and what type of information you have on them. So now companies have put a value on that data. And anything that has a value, there's going to be somebody who wants to steal it. Yes. And, and so you know that's and, why they're going after the companies. Right. And, you know, one thing that, that I know you know of but, I, but you didn't mention is – what, not only is it that employees aren't trained, but unfortunately we have dirty insiders. And I have been an expert on several cases like this in which someone within the company had either taken information and sold it to someone else to commit the identity theft, or they, have, they themselves have done this. And so it's very important to have um, good oversight and not allow access to people who don't have a, have a duty to it. And also to have audit trails so you know who has access to certain information, especially in the financial industry, the insurance industry, the legal industry, where we're providing so much information that's sensitive to the company. Who has access to this information? Well, if a dirty insider has access to it and they decide to use it because they're mad at their company or they don't have enough money or they need it, like you said, uh, uh, information is the currency. So that's another huge issue is how do you have oversight so you're not negligently supervising? And you're bringing up an excellent point in that security has become very complex. And you have to bring in security experts who can look at every simple aspects within your company. I mean, it'd be almost like saying that um, I want to hire, you know, I want to go and get my ears, nose, and throat doctor to do my open heart surgery. Right. You, you need a specialist now. Yes, you have IT people who can manage most of it, but when it comes to security now, you need that specialist. And you, you need security and privacy because you can have security without privacy. In other words, you can have all these things that are all locked up, but if you aren't looking at the privacy aspects, meaning who's going to have access, and that's the privacy issue, is like, what are we going to collect? Why are we going to collect it? Who's going to have access to it? What are we going to do with it? So security and privacy are kind of partners. They have to be together. And if you don't have, if you're looking at only security, then the problem is you're going to really fall way onto the wayside because you're, you're not protecting privacy as well. Correct. So how about firewall? People, you know, we're all told that we have to have good firewalls, which thank goodness I have, run my antivirus, run my anti-spyware, have my spam blockers. Is that good enough? No. Okay. And is it important? Do you need it? By all means, you need that. 
But when you look at those types of devices, those are really defensive at, um, protections of an attack that has already occurred. You know, the thieves are coming up with new attacks and new viruses. Well, the antivirus software don't have those protections in there yet until the attack actually has occurred. So, and sometimes it's the uh, the thieves that de- de- dictate the security level of a company or an individual. And once you get your house broken into, then you finally figure out, oh, maybe I better put a, a lock on the front door. So what those tools are really doing, as I said earlier, is they're protecting the, the windows and the back doors, which is very important. But you also need to go and start putting in the three-factor authentication, protecting that front door. Who's getting into what? What assurances do you have that this is really the person who they say they are? And that's where, again, the smart card technologies and some of these other technologies really play in. So you need to look at it from both sides now. Right, right. But you know what I worry about? I worry about the hackers, you know, that can get all, like you were talking about, your anti-spyware can't keep up with it, your antivirus can't keep up with it. You know, for someone who's not a techie like like me, and I'm I'm pretty pretty savvy. I'm pretty careful, obviously, as a privacy person. And but and I and I don't have all of the tech savvy that you have for all these years. But I mean, think about I mean, what about these ordinary people and these kids who are using computer we're all using computers everywhere. We're using iPads. We're using all of these you know, different gadgets, the the smartphones. I mean, it's overwhelming. What do you suggest for all that overwhelming stuff? Well, what you know, are you going to ever protect yourself and safeguard yourself 100% from an identity theft or a hack? No. And as we say in the security industry, anything created by human can eventually be broken by human, given enough time, energy, money, and all of that. But what you basically can do is just start putting up barriers. Thieves in their own right are business people uh, in the sense that they're trying to find the least amount of work to get the most the maximum gain that they can. And just by putting up these different barriers of your antivirus, changing your passwords, putting in complex passwords, um, not storing things into your computer that others can find, uh, locking down your phone, not giving out information, this just adds enough barriers that the thief is going to go and say, oh, well, this is going to take me too much time. Let me go find somebody else. It's easier. Right. And that's really, uh, you can put all these barriers there. I mean, you can have the best front door lock in the world, but somebody can still throw a brick through your window. Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's just, it just gets overwhelming to try and know all the products, all the services, all the things. You know, when you were talking about passwords, and one of the things that, that I like about any of your tool, your smart card, is that you don't have to remember all these passwords, because I have passwords that are, you know, 8 to 12 letters and numbers mixed up because it's important for me. I know that the more complex, the better. But it's, you know, I got to have them in a place that's in a safe place because then I forget which one, you know, I have to look it up. <laughs> I don't have it on my computer, but I have it locked somewhere else. But you know what I mean? It gets it gets so unruly to even remember all these passwords. So that's the good thing about having a smart card or having some kind of a tool that, that manages your passwords, which is what you have, right? Correct. And that's really what we're trying to do is to make it so that the security 
that companies and websites are imposing upon us. I mean, you get your IT manager who probably says you got to change your password every 60 days, 90 right. days, whatever, right. and it has right. to be 12 characters, and right. it can't be like the last one. Yeah, excuse me, but uh, that might be great in security, but you're actually weakening the security because you're forcing the person to write them down on whiteboards or post-it notes or other places. Yeah. So, um, you know, you've talked before a little bit about what are some alternatives to passwords, to one-time password, you know? Okay. What, okay. A couple of the different other technologies out there, you'll hear public key infrastructure or PKI, and that's kind of like the the grandiose of all security. I mean, this is what's used to help protect against uh, the, the the missile codes that yeah. the government uses. Very very secure, and all these technologies have their great points and they have their limitations. It, you just have to match the technology for what you need to do and do the assessment. But PKI is very, very expensive. There's a lot of infrastructure that you have to put in place. And just to be able to manage it and put it in place, I've seen one where we did one for Microsoft years ago where we rebadged all the Microsoft employees. It took them two to three years to implement their PKI. Yeah, you system. need to have something like they say, KISS, keep it simple, stupid. Type of, I mean, it really does have to be like that. Right. Then you get into these little fobs where you have the little password that shows up briefly for a period of time, and then it changes, little number changes, and it right. kind of rolls. They call it one-time password. Right. Well, those are created through an, uh, an algorithm. And um, one of the companies that was very big in doing that, they got hacked, and someone found out what the algorithm is, and oh. so now they're breaking into those things. Oh, great. And again, you have to go and synchronize your servers to this one little device, and that one device will only work with what one server, but if you have multiple sites to go to on different servers, well, you've got to have multiple of these tokens all in your hmm. pocket and possession. So that's not going to work. Then you get into these um, single sign-on applications, and that's part of Windows and Active Directory and all of that, where you have IT management, but that forces you to go and put all your passwords and all your document or all your access codes into a single server that somebody else is managing. Now, you know, and, and with its company data and company information, that's fine. They own the information, they own the data, but I really wouldn't want to go to my company and give them my bank account uh, passwords. Right, right. And so that's why we came up with a, this token where everything is stored in the card and you're always in possession of it. You're not leaving it anywhere for people to be able to go and access and grab. Okay, so we don't have much time, but I'm just going to ask you to give me three security tips that you would recommend to any company to implement? Okay. The first one has to be train your employees about the valuability of security. Make them a, uh, an advocate for you and not a liability. Right. You want to go ahead and start doing a plan. You know, how are you going in a risk assessment? Bring in the experts. Start looking at everything. You know, what, what are you going to do if there is a, an attack? And how are you going to manage it? How are you going to monitor? All of that needs to be thought up, up front, as you well know. You don't want to do that at the very end when something has already happened because nobody's thinking clearly. Right. And, you know, if you're using passwords, get a, some type of a password manager in there that's both secure and uh, convenient to use. 
um, you know, where you actually can have a tokens now that combine multiple functions. Like you have your ID badge. Well, it gets you into the building. Well, you add in logical access on top of that. So you got physical access, you got a photo ID, and you got logical access all in one little card that somebody carries. Well, terrific. So why don't you just give your website again, and we'll have you back again. Well, thank you. Yes, my website is www.access, A-C-C-E-S-S, and then a dash or hyphen, smart, S-M-A-R-T, dot com. Okay, you're terrific. Well, thank you so much, and we will have you again to tell us more, and you just keep in touch with us, okay, Davel? Very well. Thank you very much, Mari, for your time. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. See our upcoming guests, download podcasts, look at archived interviews, and tell us what's most important to you and what worries you about privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.